Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals, and I am excited about our guest today. By the way, I'm Randall Carlisle, my co-host, uh, uh, Rachel Santizo, could not be here today. And our guest came all the way from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Not not to be on this podcast, but I, I could be I could sound important and say, you flew here just to be on this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> but she she's yeah, she's making a lot of visits here in the Salt Lake area. She is Anna Christoforu. Well done. Did I get that? You got, I got that, that bang right. On, yes. if, if you look at the spelling, it'll probably be on the screen in front of you. And it's it's sort of a hard one when you look at it. Christoforu. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thanks it's, for having me. And, and the background and the reason I'm excited is because I want and we're all going to learn on this podcast about how how things with substance use and substance use related activities happen in New Zealand, because we really, except for some major news stories, we don't hear too much about New Zealand. No. Right. We're tucked away. Yeah, you, <laughs> you are on the other side of the world. Uh, and and. Uh, Anna worked for five years at an Odyssey house in New Zealand, uh, and it's not, it, it's in terms of concept, it's connected to what we do, but in terms of corporate philosophy and everything, it's not connected. It's just the same name. Mm. And now you've got a new project. So let's, you know, let's talk a little about Odyssey House in New Zealand. What is, is it, you, you sort of know what we do here. What, what are the, does Odyssey House do there? Some similarities and some differences. Obviously, the scale is different. Um, so New Zealand is, is very small in comparison. But um, I worked for Odyssey House in Christchurch in the South Island for five years um, as an operations manager there. And we also have Odyssey in Auckland in the North Island. And an Odyssey in Whangarei, just north of Auckland, which is a mental health and addiction um, residential program as well and my understanding because I'm fascinated by the Odyssey journey because my understanding was from New York to the other bases here in the US and then to Australia and from Australia a group of peers came to Auckland New Zealand Aotearoa set up there and then some of their residents left there and came to um, Christchurch in the South Island and set up originally in a big old house in the city and then moved out to um, the site that I was then employed at, which is um, still in the city on the outskirts, to um, which then began as our men's residential program, um, which was this beautiful old two-story house. Um, and that took, I think, about um, 50 50 residents and so that's the journey as I understand it I believe there's a book um, that tells that that journey okay. as well you told me on the way out here about a building that was a nunnery yeah yeah and tell me about that yeah right. so so when I started work at, um I feel really passionately about Odyssey because the charity that I that I now started that I now um manage started started there so yes a beautiful old two-story building that was originally a nunnery then a girls school and then became um the odyssey residence and now it's been um, knocked down because it was damaged in the earthquakes but we always laughed and joked and said that the stories 
that could be told from that building. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Nunnery, girls' school, Odyssey yeah. House. Yeah. yeah, there was even a confessional, which became yeah. the, became the IT IT kind of storage space. But yeah. I mean, it was originally a confessional room. Now, is 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 there a serious drug problem in New Zealand? I mean, we had uh, the latest figures we have is we had 107,000 people in America die from an overdose in the past year. Mm. Is your problem significant like that? I think our problem is, uh, well, uh, drug issues are, are a global issue. Um, and I think our problem is different to here because of where we are situated. So our number one um, problematic substance is alcohol. And about 1% of the population um, has issues with methamphetamine. Um, what about heroin? Heroin, we don't have such a big opiate problem as, as you do here. And um, we've seen fentanyl land on our shores, but it has it's not on our radar, but we're preparing for it. So, 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 you, so you don't have a bunch different. of overdose deaths from fentanyl? No, we don't. We don't. And, not, and, not at the moment and hopefully not. And 99% of your services deal with alcohol? Alcohol is our number one drug that we see. That's our number one problematic substance. Yeah. Then we'll be looking at methamphetamine, um, cannabis, um, other stimulant use, and opiates. And when we say opiates, they may be home-baked, they may be manufactured, um, rather than heroin. What in I know you you can't ex really fully explain, but in in your view, why do you have such a significant problem with alcohol? And he, because it's legal everywhere, and it's legal here too. But but most of our problems are with drugs, not alcohol. Mm. Well, alcohol is a drug, but mm. why do why do you think that is? Mm. Well, I think it's socially acceptable. It's readily available. Um, it, I think particularly in COVID lockdown, it became more of a problem. People could have it delivered. Um, so I think, but it always has been, it's culturally in New Zealand culture. Um, I was very surprised when I moved to New Zealand at the prevalence of, of alcohol, problematic hazardous drinking, um, that I saw when I came to New Zealand 20 years ago. So, so even coming from the UK, um, as a social worker trained in addictions, the landscape of addiction, whilst the behavior is the same, the substances can be very variable according to where you are in the world. So, so, so in New Zealand, is it, is it acceptable for, I mean, do you have bars or pubs or what? And, and uh, is it acceptable for people just to get blasted? And, and, and yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is yeah. why you have a, so it's not, socially frowned upon no it's not it's not socially frowned upon we're going through a for a, i feel a change at the moment and um some of the research is really interesting in fact um uh, professor and associate professor andy towers from massey university sits on the board of of our charity the speed freaks and he did some research around um attitudes and substance um use across the age population, across um, ages of population. And the population that um, that we need to prepare ourselves for in terms of hazardous drinking and the impact of that was from 40 to 65. So we weren't seeing such hazardous drinking with our younger people, but it was with the sort of 40 plus. Middle age. Yeah, 
that but but that were drinking and this had this history of binge drinking and applauding that as being you know that's hey wow. how many hey, races you can you do that last night? Yeah. yeah and okay. we still have in in New Zealand a culture that we have um there's a radio station that um has a a day which almost sadly appears to be like a national holiday called crate day and the idea being that you buy crates of beer and one person drinks that entire crate well that would a be, radio station does it yeah promotes it yeah so that's that's <laughs> that's how embedded it is in the culture and that coming from overseas seems a ridiculous be shocking and why would you do that yeah and as you can imagine, the call outs on that day for ambulance and police is oh. is higher. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sitting here laughing about it because it does sound ridiculous, but yeah. it's not ridiculous. It's 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 concerning if we're if that's what we're applauding and we're saying, hey, this is this is cool behavior. Wow. Yeah. That's so a- I think to answer your question in a roundabout way. That's why it's okay. it's so ingrained and, and is a problem for us in New Zealand. So. You're going to have to change society to reduce that as a problem. Yeah, we have to change. get rid of that radio station. That's the, <laughs> that's the promotion. How does uh, how does Odyssey House deal? I guess you're dealing more with uh, alcohol than drugs. But what you're we are a therapeutic community, and so we use a lot of people in recovery that we call peers to deal with uh, clients who are also in recovery and and the the peers that we use are in long-term recovery, but how does your program function compared to ours? Okay. So I'm no longer, so I haven't been working for Odyssey for two, two years now, but I can tell, I can explain as, as I, as I know, I'm not sure that it's changed that much since. So, um, although alcohol is the number one problematic substance within Aotearoa in New Zealand, Within treatment, obviously, we're dealing with people with um, some very long-term and complex um, needs. So methamphetamine, I would say, is is the number one substance that we would see within residential programs like Odyssey House, which is longer term, more complex. When you um, say longer term, how long? Yeah. Where it used to, many years ago, be 18 months. Okay. Um, it's now six months, a six-month program, and then it candidate out. There's some extra time. So although it's six months, I imagine similar to Odyssey here, you work through levels. You start as a starter and you end as a candidate out, and then you can be a graduate. So um, that length Pretty of similar. time yeah, yeah. May, um, may be six months, but if you're busted back for whatever reason that's going to add add some time onto that so um it's now a much shorter sort of six to nine month program than it was five years ago same Um, here yeah yeah yeah. and that that process of going through the program graduating from the program and giving back to the program is very much still the the ethos of the um, therapeutic community yeah in the program itself and this is why a lot of people hate coming to odyssey we are highly structured. Like you get up at a certain time, you make your bed, you keep your room clean, you eat at a certain time, you go to group at a certain time. What's it like there? Exactly the same. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I think that there's, you know, within within the residential programs in Christchurch, for example, you know, we also have um, the Salvation Army Bridge Program, um, City Mission. We have um, a lot of support offered through um 
sorry, the bridge program is Salvation Army through the city mission. They also have alcohol and drug services. And then we have our cultural service, um, uh, our Maori services as well. So, but Odyssey House is the longest and, um, yeah, and, and takes um, people that might have tried some of those other programs or have been in and out of prison um, and might come back to Odyssey once, twice, three times. Same here. Yeah. 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 Where do your clients primarily come from? Is it incarceration? Is it from the streets? Is it from the courts? Where do they come from? Okay. Again, that's different in different cities. So Odyssey in Auckland, for example, is a mixed residential program of men and women together. Odyssey in Christchurch is a men's only program. And um, a few years ago, we opened a women's program. And for Christchurch, about 90% of the residents will come directly from prison. Um, about 10% from the community, but they will all have had um, they'll all have had a strong relationship with corrections or with the probation service. Yeah, yeah, and it might be part of the end of their sentence. They might have done um, the drug treatment program whilst in prison, um, and then come from drug treatment program to Odyssey. And and so in Christchurch. Uh, you said men's only, but you're open to women's place. But so you don't have a co-ed place. No, we don't. In Auckland, do you? Yes, Auckland does. Yeah. And so they they live in the same residential thing, yeah. which is and all of our services except for our mental health facilities are are co-ed. Yeah. Uh, which presents problems in itself, of course. And, yeah. and do you have? I mean, in in Odyssey's program, we we require. Somebody, uh, when dealing with another person, probably the opposite sex, a third person there, and we call them a breaker, and they're not allowed to talk. Like you and I couldn't talk if we were in residential care unless we had a third person with us. Yeah, that that changes with the levels. So as starters, until I think starter, my recollection, starter to level two, um, you always got to have a shadow. We call them shadows. Shadow, so supposed ev- to break everybody, oh, okay. even if so. That so the running the 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 speed freaks that we now you know I go into Odyssey and we do our program there. So if if we're taking a group out um, and um, we've got a group and it's starters and level ones, a shadow will have to be with that group. They want to go to the toilet. Shadow goes to the toilet, okay. but as as they get higher up in structure, um, I think levels three and four don't require a shadow. Yeah, and we have cardinal rules. Mm-hmm. Do you as well? Yes. It'd be like violence, uh, contraband, uh, uh, sexual impropriety, uh, and you have the same. Yeah. And yeah. do people get thrown out if they violate the cardinal rule? Yeah, we have an accountant uh, encounter system. We do too. Yeah. So, so um, those systems are still in place, and and um, I think over time, oh, I, I really, I really do love therapeutic community. There's so much to offer. That's why I'm smiling because right. it's close to my heart, Odyssey, and and that whole. I think over time things change, you know, and it isn't about um, people come to residential treatment because they have an addiction issue, and an addiction to me is is behaviour. And so I think, you know, to people need to be given chances and options to create a space to learn. So, so I think sometimes there were situations that you might have thought that should be a discharge. But I also think there's times where we need to sit back and listen and think about what we're trying to achieve. And as, as some of those tools that residential programs have, is that the right thing? We can't, we must, you know, 
if so, if we're offering an addiction service, surely part of that offering is an expectation that people will break rules, test rules, potentially may even use because that's why that's why they're in residence. So, so yeah. probably the people in our residential care would like to have you in charge because <laughs> you're you're a little more liberal leaning. Uh, since we're talking about your your program, most of our services are covered by a, a government program called Medicaid mm -hmm. here. And, and some people have private insurance as well. And those would be the two things. And then we also can scholarship people uh, who don't have, don't have Medicaid or private insurance. How is the program paid for by clients in, in, in your country? By the government. So the government funds um, residential beds. So, so contracts are um, established for um, alcohol and drug addiction, and they might include some residential beds in certain areas. Um, they may include some funding from corrections. So um, residential programs generally will have mixed funding and that'll come either from the health dollar, it might come from corrections. Um, and then that they will also be um, putting out applications to philanthropic trusts. So quite often there might be a gap or extra, extra things that a program okay. wants to do that isn't funded for its core business. And so then they'll need extra resourcing for that. Um, and in that way, it's it's free, really, for, right. for the person um, coming through. And then we also have a system whereby residential, if someone is on a benefit, that benefit would get paid to the residential program. So you end up with a very, I always feel sorry for people doing the funding side of, of managing beds and contracts, because you end up with a suite of contracts that have to be balanced and managed and reviewed to make sure that they're, they're cost effective or a bed might be allocated, but because New Zealand's so small, it has to be filled with someone from Rotorua or Auckland or, or somewhere throughout the country. So it's a logistical nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> and it's sort of, if the government's paying the bills, we have a right to tell you what we what would like you to do with our That's money. That's right. So. Yeah, it's taxpayers' money. So, so it makes it really important that the services are of a really high standard, that, um, that good outcomes are achieved, that there's um, good follow-up in the community because at the end of the day, those services are paid by the taxpayer. Yeah. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about what you're doing now. Uh, one of the things that Anna did yesterday, and I have no idea when you're going to be watching this pod or listening to this podcast, was tour FTR, which is Fit to Recover, which we talk about all the time. And Rachel, my co-host, works there. Uh, and it's it, it started out as Utah's only sober gym, and then it's it's greatly expanded in terms of what they do. And Odyssey deals with FTR in terms of taking our clients there for exercise or them coming into some of our programs, including the jail and our adolescent residential house. And you have started a program called Speed Freak. Mm -hmm. Spe Speed Freaks? Yes. Plural. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is is it similar to FDR or or, or not? What so, describe the program? Yeah. So the Speed Freaks started in 2017 when I was at Odyssey, and um, a group of residents of the men's residential program, which was one of the programs on my portfolio, knew that myself and um, the team leader at the time liked to go running. We weren't I'm not a very good runner, but I do like to go running because it's 
good for you. What? Sometimes I don't want to do it, but I do it. Yeah. And so the residents knew That's that we did yourself this. There, see. <laughs> <laughs> the residents knew that we did this and said, you know, can we come? And um, the first answer was no, you can't. This is too much of a hurdle. You know, there's corrections, probation, the right. bracelets are on. You got to watch it yeah, all the time. To, yeah, and yeah, we need shadows and yeah. all of this. But um, I don't. If someone says to me, "You can't do something," then you want to, <laughs> yeah, do I want to do yeah. it even more. Yeah. So, um, so we did. Um, started in 2017 with a group of Odyssey Men's Residential Program residents, which is why I feel very affectionately towards Odyssey. Um, and that first group of of men um, became the Speed Freaks. They named the group themselves. So that group was a high all um, ex methamphetamine users. So they thought it was Which really sort of funny. Which has a double meaning yeah. there, speed freaks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so they named the group and um, we started running and then they asked if they could do an event. And so we did a, a 10K and um, that was amazing. And we still have two runners that run with us now in our groups that ran in 2017. So... I mean, that that sort of demonstrates the longevity and connection that people have with, with that group. But it became abundantly clear very early on that um, what people were setting as goals that they wanted to achieve was beyond my capability of, as a runner. And and also the, the group was, we ran at 5.30 in the morning and we ran at a lunchtime. And... Um, Many a time, 5.30 in the morning, I'd turn up and people would still be in their beds. And so they'd get a cross, growly Anna because I'd sure. left my kids 5.30 in the morning <laughs> to come and to come and do this and no one was up. So there were lots of lessons learned along the way. But, um, you know, as, as, as the need got greater, I went to the running community and said, look, I, this is beyond me now. I don't know how to train someone for a half marathon. And... Um, and so we had a really lovely gentleman called Jamie Hawker who came to do a talk with the residents at the time because out of all the programme, we had about three quarters of the men wanting to run. So um, he came and did a talk and said, I'm going to offer you more than a talk. You clearly need some help. How, would you accept me as a running coach? And he became our first volunteer. And his son um, is uh, New Zealand's, runs for New Zealand in trail running. And his wife, Bonnie, is now one of our coaches with our walking groups. And she also does our admin support. And so the Hawker family is um, part of the Speed Freaks sure. Fano family. And, and that's where we started. And, and then between 2017 and 2019, the Speed Freaks gained traction because we invited, I invited more coaches to help us from the community. And we had some really key runners come along to support us and we um, over that time we changed our t-shirts they became blue and we you know we had running meetings within the therapeutic community and and it was adding value and from my point of my perspective what I was seeing was that the speed those residents that were involved with this group were staying for longer and felt loyalty to their community because the community was delivering the program they sure. were coming into the residential program which was very unusual um <clears throat> and so in 2019 we did a, a race called the Takaheta Akaro Relay and 
It was a race that was only open for professional runners. They made an exception to our group. And we had eight runners running from Christchurch to Akaroa, 80 kilometers in, in a relay of 10 kilometer bikes with a lot of verti vertical. Sometimes it's not about the distance, it's about the yeah, climbing. Right. And um, we had a, a coach from the community run alongside one of um, the runners and they achieved this awesome feat and we were loud and we weren't your average running group. And um, the running community in Athletics Canterbury embraced what we were doing. Okay. And um, it, yeah, I was really start. I couldn't unsee what I had seen, basically. And um, what I'd seen was, was really unique and an area that in the 25 years of working in addiction, one of the hardest things is to um, invite the community to understand addiction and also to invite the community to be ready to receive people coming out of treatment. And so really unlikely friendships and relationships were being formed by this group. And so I left my job and um, started the Speed Freaks Charitable Trust um, with $20,000 loan um, from the bank and um, no income. <laughs> And um, a promise to Odyssey that um, I would, however, somehow manage to keep their group going. Um, and um, within six months, I was given some money from our then Ministry of Health, which I'm so grateful for, to um, basically start in Auckland. And so we started in Auckland and we now have um, two regions. So we have the Speed Freaks running in Auckland and in Christchurch. We have 16 groups running Per week and we have uh, nearly 60 volunteers all that come from the community to deliver our running and walking program and um, some of the volunteers may be in recovery themselves some are musicians some have their own businesses all walks of life and um, and that's our program and we see people start with us at the beginning of their recovery journey and then they tend to continue with us on discharge. So when they leave, they continue running, continue connecting. And that was the magic that I saw yesterday in Fit to Recover. So for us, what we're seeing is that it's not about the running. The running is just the vehicle for, right. for connection and for um, recovery and for community relations and, and feeling included and part of, part, of, part of society, really. Sure. And it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we only have a couple of minutes left. Why are you involved with helping people recover? Uh, are are you in recovery? I, uh, I'm in, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Okay, you're not. Yeah, I'm not. No, no. Well, then why are you doing this? <laughs> My family has been touched by addiction multiple times and continues to be. Um, and so from a young age, I was aware of it. And um, I think that humans have always wanted to take their minds left of center. I think they'll continue to do so. I think we've criminalized um, drug users, which was part of the whole war on drugs. And, um, right. and I think we've sent people down trajectories sometimes that they didn't need to go to. So I was acutely aware of it um, as a young adult. And so I chose to train as a social worker with a specialist area in addiction and, and started off in a needle exchange and um, 
So you do a needle exchange over there. Oh, I've, I started off needle exchange in the UK. Yeah, oh. but oh. New Zealand was the first country to offer needle exchange. We were we really? were trailblazers in the needle exchange harm yeah. reduction. Yeah, because it's been controversial here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've always worked in the in the field, and I just I I I think if you work in the field, you eat, sleep, and breathe it for whatever yeah. reason brings you there. And I You're think right. most people have a backstory as to why they why they do it, and you meet amazing people, as I did yesterday. I had a fantastic day yesterday with Victor Recover. Well, that's great. Well, okay, if you if you were the first foot the needle exchange, do you have safe injection sites over there? No, not yet. Okay. I think that we are, that would be amazing if we did. But we have needle exchanges throughout the country, and we also have mobile needle exchange as well. So, um, yeah, that's a really important part of harm reduction for us in, in New Zealand. And and do you accept... Uh, like in the Odyssey program or, or the government there, do you, do you accept things like uh, Suboxone and Methadone and Vivitrol? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't, there are certain, the, the one of the topics at the moment for us is ADHD and ADHD medication. Um, but it was a big shift for residential programs to be able to take people on OST. So people are able to opioid substitute, uh, substitutes and treatment um, is, is, is our term. Um, so that was a big shift. So that's been a huge move for us too. We call it medication-assisted treatment, yeah. same thing. Yeah. And you call it substitution. Opioid substitution treatment. Okay. Yeah. All right. So have you learned something on your trip to uh, over here? About I'm le learning lots. Like, I mean, obviously the the substances are different the way, but ultimately it's around it's it's behavior, isn't it? Addiction yes. is behavior, and under underneath complex addiction, quite often is trauma. And so, I th and what I saw yesterday as well is that, you know, how, how I sometimes wonder that whether we measure is abstinence the best measure or is it life quality? Is it that you see someone engaged in community, feeling valued, feeling that they're giving back and that that's the outcome really that we should be measuring? I, I kind of sit with that at the moment. You have a great outlook on things. I, yeah, we'd love to have you working for us if you ever want to come over <laughs> here. I thank you for sharing 30 minutes of your time. Thanks uh, for having me. You're charming. You've done some great stuff. Uh, and, and it's been a learning experience just hearing, you know, the things you do. Because people don't talk about it much. They say, well, uh, what's the drug situation in wherever? Mm -hmm. You know, so thank you for sharing with us. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. My guest has been Anna Cristoforo. Okay, I got that right again. Uh, I hope you enjoyed learning about drugs and, and, and substance use treatment and how they do things in, a, in another country that we don't hear that much about. Thank you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journal. <music>